Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. I'm joined today by Stephen Mills. Stephen, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yes. My name is Stephen Mills. I am a transformational coach um, and mentor. And I've been coaching now for seven, seven eight years. Um, so I offer transformational coaching, trauma recovery coaching, and I work specifically, I work with men and also have a mentoring program where I mentor coaches and practitioners with their business. How did I get into coaching? Well, my coaching, it comes through mainly from my personal journey of um, going through initially anxiety, stress, depression, but then later on to find out actually these were just symptoms and actually what I, ha- what I had, hadn't dealt with was childhood trauma mm-hmm. that I'd kept a hold of for, for decades, for three decades. For 30 years I had, I, I, I held trauma within my, my, my body and actually, you know, I, you know, that, that was the main reason for me going into coaching is, is helping others now with the experience I've been through. Helping others with the trauma from childhood trauma to, and actually helping others to just address it, deal with it, and deal with the feelings. Because more often than not, we're taught in society, just man up and get on with it. Don't, don't, don't deal with your feelings. You know, just don't, don't cry. You'll be okay. You know, just all these things you're told in childhood, adulthood. You know, just um, we're all we're living in a society where it's busy, busy. Keep going, you know, as long as you're busy, you're doing all right. But we never get taught actually just to sit and be with the feelings. And that's what I encourage a lot with my clients is just to, you know, how are you feeling? Because most people answer that question by what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Most people answer that question by, oh, I'm, I'm fine. Or I'm, I'm busy doing this, I'm doing that. No, no, I never asked you what you were doing. I asked you what, how you're feeling. How mm-hmm. are you feeling right now? And that is, you know, a big question that I avoided the plague for many years. I avoided more emotions. I was very good at disassociating and being in denial and keeping everybody at arm's length because I didn't want to get into the deep nitty gritty of my emotions. I wanted to keep everybody at arm's length and, and just protect myself. And I'm no, no one's getting in. No one's getting into my emotions. No one's getting into how I feel because I may get hurt. And that was something I preserved for many years. And, you know, I was a compulsive helper. I used to help everyone else, but not myself. And people would often say to me, Stephen, I'm here if you need to chat. No, no, it's not about me, it's about you. I was always very defensive when it came to the mass and about how I was feeling. And yeah. now, it's, when I went on that journey of recovering from trauma, it released a lot of old, you know, past wounds and a lot of stuff that I held on to. Mm-hmm. And it helped me find that place of peace. Because I believe that we're all entitled, we're all entitled to find contentment. We're, yeah. all, we're all entitled to feel, find peace. And I want to encourage that for anyone out there that, you know, we, you know, we rest in peace when we die, right? But the reality is that we live in peace. A lot of time, we don't give ourselves an opportunity to. So I want to encourage others to find that place, but also Give them that space so they can, they can find that peace. Sorry, a long-winded introduction, and I went into a bit more detail than probably expected, but there you go. 
Yeah, like you say, a lot of people, um, modern society just like pushes us along, just get on with it, take some meds, have a beer, you know, it's not a, rather than face the, uh, the issues, you know, people try and mask them and run away from them. And, you know, people, um, like I say, there's negative stigma with it. You know, people say man up and, you know, they, they consider people that are trying to deal with these issues as, um, you know, weaker. Weaker because, you, you know, you're, you're openly trying to address the problems. Uh, people consider you as weaker as opposed to someone who's just getting on with it and maybe not living life to their full potential um, with alcohol or drug issues um, and you know ongoing anxiety problems do you find that yeah i mean a, a big thing a lot of people do like you say is you know try and cover themselves up with drugs you know this is where for me, trauma drives addictions. It drives people, it leads people to and into addictions because it serves the pain. Now, I'm not going to judge anyone that's an alcoholic or taking drugs or anything like that because if that, for that moment of time, gives them that place of peace, yeah. then so be it. You know, I, I would rather they found peace some way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and a lot of people judge these people in life. You know, oh, drug addicts, oh, they're scum of the earth. And, but actually... How do you know what they've been through? How do we know their story? Mm -hmm. How do we know what's behind that the, the drugs have taken? Mm -hmm. How do we know how deep, deeply hurt they are? How do we know their wounds from their past? You know, we're so quick to dismiss people that are alcoholics or, you know, we're so quick to dismiss trauma. Yeah. It's so invisible. We don't see it. You can't look at someone and think, oh, he's got trauma or they've got trauma or it's something that, can only be disclosed if not only first and foremost we're aware, but secondly, we, we build trust with people so they're able to share. Mm -hmm. Why would people share with someone if they're going to be judged or opinionated? Why would people share their deepest hearts with people that they can't trust? And mm -hmm. so we're, in society, we, we don't exactly give people a place to, to share their, some of their deep wounds. So it's easier to go into drugs, alcohol, and keeping busy, you know, it's about keeping busy and work, 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 work. It might be something that doesn't fulfill them, mm -hmm. but it fills their time. It, it keeps them going and it keeps them sane in life. And I mean, we all have a vice, mm -hmm. but it's how positive that vice is or how, you know, healthy that vice is for our well-being, for our mental health, if you like. Um, so masking, you know, Antidepressants, they're just a plaster on the wind. You're, you're just, again, they're just, it's soothing the pain and it's allowing you to feel that wee bit better. But sometimes we need to get in the trenches, unfortunately. Sometimes we need to get in the trenches and, you know, find someone that we can trust, like a, a coach, you know, or a hypnotherapist or whatever. You know, there's a, a whole array now or menu of different modalities out there that people can get support from and sometimes we need to go there mm -hmm. in order to, to heal and 
Yeah, I find a lot of, you know, people say just get on with it is because they're not comfortable with their own emotions and issues. So they, they don't want to hear, you know, they don't want to hear other people's. So that's, I, thought, I think that's a big part of the reason that people say, ah, oh, just get on with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, because, it, you know, I, read, I, read, I think I read uh, an article about a year ago um, about percentages and in the UK where people struggle, 40% of people in the UK struggle to speak to someone with a mental health problem. Because mm-hmm. they don't know how to be for them. They don't know how to help someone with mental health. They, 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 it's a bit alien to them to think, oh... And so that's a, that's a scary figure, right? 40% of people in the UK struggle to speak to someone with a mental health problem. Yeah. So, you know, you, imagine how, that, how that, that makes people feel that are maybe going through trauma, or going through mental health, where they, they can't find anyone. You know, 40% of the, the nation aren't going to talk about it. They aren't going to hold a space for people. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing we can do for someone going through trauma or mental health problems, is hold a space. Yeah. They don't need anything else. They don't need any advice. All they need is someone to listen. Mm-hmm. Someone that cares enough to pay attention to them. Yeah. They listen with the intent to understand, not to try and tell them how to fix it, but listen with the intent to understand what's really going on for them. And that is what I do for my clients. Is, you know, I created a model called the space model. And space is, the S stands for safety and security. People need safety and security. They need to feel safe and secure in an environment where they can just open up. Then the P is patience. We need to be patient. You know, as, as people, we need to be patient with others. Then we need to find acceptance, unconditional acceptance. We need to accept people unconditionally for who they are, regardless of their backgrounds. Yeah. Then the C is compassion. We need to sit there, but we need to be able to suffer with them. We need to show compassion. You think of the word passion. Passion comes from pain a lot of time. A lot of people think passion is, oh, it's doing something we enjoy. and it's, But actually, passion stems from a pain we've been through. Mm-hmm. And when we are showing compassion, we're, we're, we're saying, I'm here with you. I'm suffering with you. I'm in the trenches with you. I want to be here. I've got your back. Mm-hmm. Then you look at E, empathy. You know, for anyone out there that's got someone that maybe going through mental health or trauma issues, just create that space. You know, show empathy, be compassionate, just be understanding, accept yeah. them, be patient, be patient with them. Offer them a secure place, a secure place where they can come and, and, and air their, 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 their thoughts, their, their, air their, their, view, their views, share their voice. Mm-hmm. A lot of people with trauma don't believe they've got a voice. Don't, you know, they don't believe that they can share how they feel because they think that people won't get them. They think they're going to be judged. They think they're going to be stigmatized. You know, oh, he's a loony bin. He's, oh, he's an idiot. You know, he's... But trauma comes through in behavioral issues and relationships. It comes through in how we approach life. Trauma shows up through projection, through anger. It shows up through disassociating through being in denial you know there's so many ways that it can show up in relationships and people give up in relationships because they, they focus more on the behavior 
mm. and the, the actual how they're acting rather than actually what's behind the behaviour. Because behind anger, there's always hurt. Mm-hmm. Behind anger, there's always pain. But most people don't see that. They see the anger before they actually see what's behind it. They see how they're behaving. Oh, he's an idiot. He's I'm not. I'm, I'm not talking to him. <laughs> and that's that's where we we lose, you know, relationships. We lose trust because we don't actually help. We don't go back to to, to maybe to explore the anger. Tell me more about the why. Why are we angry? Why did you get angry at me earlier? What what's causing that? Rather than, oh, you're just an idiot. You're you got angry at me, so what? You know, I'm not talking to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Then anger sometimes met with anger, frustrations, you know, arguments, and it just expires out of control. And actually, what's not been addressed is the elephant in the room: the trauma. Yeah, the wounds, the heart, and yeah. Yeah, like I say, anger can be caused by fear of connection as well counter-dependency so you know people I see it um, you know myself with my own friends where you know someone is snappy and then other people uh, you know they don't want to speak to him that you know they avoid him Um, and he's snapping because he you know he doesn't want to let people in his bubble do you know what I mean he doesn't want to he, he doesn't want people getting too too friendly with him, knowing too much of his business. Um, but people don't see that, and people think that you know that person is an idiot. <laughs> to not use a swear word. <laughs> That's what I was trying to do. Not use a swear word. That's why I used the word idiot. <laughs> I, you know, and and this is it. It's we live in a nation where. Trauma is everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's in society. It's all around us. But a lot of people aren't aware of it or un- un- understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Um, people see trauma in two ways, mostly, and that's PTSD through the war or through a an accident, through a, a an accident, you know, a, a road accident or whatever. That that's what they see as the two main reasons for trauma. But actually, trauma comes in so many places from abuse, from neglect, from childhood, from relational, religious um, traumas. There's trauma comes in so many ways. You know, you can get trauma from going to therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different things that, you know, trauma, what might be trauma for me might be different for you. Mm-hmm. You can never, you always got to remind, remember that different people are receptive to trauma in different ways and actually how they perceive trauma. And that's what we can't ever dismiss. What may be trauma for you might be different for me. And that's something that we always have to be mindful of when it comes to helping others. I mean, my trauma stemmed from childhood, mm-hmm. from neglect, from um, physical abuse, uh, mental abuse, religious abuse. Um, then that led to bullying at school, it led to being vulnerable in my relationships and I then went into trauma reenactment in, in adulthood so I seeked then my abuser as a child in adulthood through my other relationships mm-hmm. How, and it, 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 that's when it comes complex you know, Com- PTSD 
trauma can be complex at times as well because when we learn a certain way as a child, then it's all we know. We're programmed that way. So we, we, we automatically go looking for that relationship in adulthood because that's what I remember as a child. I want that back. I want that, you know, it might not be healthy for us, but we want to be in that arena because that's, that's, what I was, that's how I was grown up. That's how I was brought up. So I want, I want to find that father figure that abuses me. Mm-hmm. And we don't automatically go, and go out and say, abuse me. You, I need you to abuse me. I want to become your friend, but you need to abuse me along the way. But we need to find a friend that, that's got the attributes of our abuser as, as, as a child. So yeah. we might be looking for the man that's quite dominant or the, the woman that's quite dominant for us that might get us in trouble or shame us. There's another one. Shame. Yeah. Yeah, well... Trauma, you know, 80% of people suffer with some form of CPTSD, right, according to Pete Walker. Um, and, you know, it's, it's generational, isn't it? Like you say, we, we look for uh, partners similar to, you know, what we've grown up witnessing, and we look to recreate relationships similar to what we've grown up witnessing. And so the next generation you know, gets just as traumatised as we were. You know, every everyone tries to, I know when I was a child, I, you know, I thought, you know, I want to do, I want to do better for my kids. But um, it, yeah, like you, you just end up, it's, it's programmed into you subconsciously, right? It's like, as children, we don't have boundaries, you know, we're learning about the world and we look to the adults around us to show us you know what reality is and we create our reality based on that and with uh, PTSD they say that you know they notice that a lot of like veterans and people there's only certain veterans that suffer from PTSD and they, they say that that's because they have underlying CPTSD issues and it's actually the CPTSD that's causing the PTSD. Uh, so, yeah, they, they say there's no PTSD without CPTSD. Um, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting um, point you make. I mean, I, I heard another stat what, that 50% of people in the, the veterans community that suffer from PTSD have underlying childhood trauma. Yeah, have trauma from their childhood. So 50% of veterans, it's not actually the war that's giving them the, the grief or that's causing the problems, it's their childhood trauma. They, and I can be, I, I, I can give you an example of me here. I'm a veteran, right? Mm-hmm. I went to the army for six years when I was 16 year old. I joined the army to get away from yeah. my abuser. I joined the army to get away from my childhood you know, abuse. I use that and so people go in the army to get away from it mm-hmm. but actually that can amplify it yeah because there's a lot of discipline in, in the army there's a lot of structure and, and you can you can yeah and it can also lead for me i got bullied because i was so vulnerable and young and and you know you can be exposed to set you know different things as well like going to war i was in iraq 2003 so it's a true thing i mean childhood trauma 
is at the 50% of that is at the heart of people that have PTSD from the army, mm-hmm. the veterans, because it's been unaddressed. So they take it, they carry it with them in the army, and then the army just amplifies that, and it just becomes a validation of the, the past traumas. They add on to the trauma, and it becomes reenactment. It, that's where it becomes messy, and it becomes complex. And, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, CPTSD, I mean, most of us will go through some sort of trauma in our life, whether it's mild or, you know, more. I mean, complex I see is where it's, it's prolonged over years. Mm-hmm. Complex PTSD is where it's over prolonged, where we're staying in relationships, like the, the dreaded drama triangle, mm-hmm. if you like. So where you, you've, got the per, you've got the perpetrator, you've got the, the victim mentality, and, and remind me, what's the three of them? There's the perpetrator. The, 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 the saviour. The, the rescuer, yes. Yeah, the rescuer. And we, a lot of us get caught up in the drama triangle um, and become the, the, the victim. Then we try and become the rescuer. And, or, um, so I, I've played the roles of the three of them very well over the years um, when it suited me, um, to just to, to help me deal with my, my, my PTSD or my traumas. And, um, shame is a big thing for me, shame. Now, shame is like a big dark cloud over us it can it used to be my autopilot i used to have self-pity parties shame parties of my own whereas i would go into a place of you know oh there i, there I go again i'm not good enough i'm rubbish and oh i don't know i made a mistake oh I'm, I'm bad i'm oh i can't do that and and i would be in these shame parties for like a day or two but shame was a, a dark cloud over my head for years because i got shamed as a child i got told i wasn't good enough or you know, that's wrong or and because of that programming I took that into adulthood and shame is is again a lot of it no one talks about shame it's quite it's not a big subject matter because we don't like or we see shame as being maybe embarrassed or ashamed of something we did you know but shame is real it's it's a it's a real thing it's it can be toxic you know for us as human beings and it's again dismissed a lot of the time but shame can be a dark cloud over people for years if it's not addressed. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how did um, CPTSD affect your relationships? Massively. Massively. Um, I would be in the push-pull dynamic. I don't know if you've heard of the push-pull, but basically you pull people in and then you push them away. Yeah. I, you know, I've got you close, but I don't want you close. No, that's enough. Go away. And it's quite a common theme um, yeah. as a push pull dynamic. And I done that a lot in my relationships. Um, I've been divorced. I have another relationship that I broke up where I have a daughter. But in that relationship, I was push pull again, and um, and even in a recent one, I, the, the complex PTSD is showing up in my relationships. More than I would like, you know, more than I had wanted to, wanted it to, but it's, I guess the the thing for me was becoming aware of it and understanding of it. But it is, it can really have a massive effect. It's until you allow someone in completely. Um, what what was the biggest thing that un, unconditional acceptance was the biggest thing that showed me that um, it's okay. So yeah. my my recent relationship. There was unconditional acceptance, and that was love. And that, for me, 
is the strongest antidote to PTSD is is actually healthy connection, mm-hmm. healthy strong connections. It's the biggest antidote to any addiction, any problem in their life is having healthy strong connection. It's yeah. you know it's that was the biggest thing for me and and it, it allowed me then to be vulnerable. Now as PTSD as trauma survivors or whatever you want to call it. It's, I like to call it trauma thrivers because we can thrive through our, our, our journey healing. But the thing with trauma is we need to acknowledge it. We need to address it. But we also, you know, we can't keep denying it. At some point, we need to just be able to get in the trench and be vulnerable. Being vulnerable is probably the biggest. A lot of people see that as weakness, but actually it's courage. Vulnerability is courage. Vulnerability is showing up in relationships and admitting that, you know, I've got problems. I've, I've, I've got, you know, I've struggled with childhood. I've struggled with relationships. It's being willing to talk about these things. Um, it creates deeper connection. It creates trust. Um, if we're willing to ask for help and if we're willing to just show up vulnerable. And that's the hardest part for anyone with PTSD or trauma because our go-to is disassociation or, you know, not get, let anybody in. Yeah. But it's the more we feel comfortable doing that, the better we'll feel. Because when we start talking about it, it's a release. It's relief. We need to get out somehow, whether it's through tears, through you know speaking it out about it. Um, you know, sometimes sitting with the feelings is is hard. I remember sitting in a a, tra- a therapy session where I was holding myself because it was that painful. You know, the, the, what was coming up. But I, I had to come because I had to release this. You know, you think about it, th- three decades of trauma that you're holding on to. When it comes out, it's like a volcano. Yeah. It's like a volcano erupting. It's like lava. It just goes, woof, and it's an explosion. But, and it can be painful, but. Uh, good. I used to do journaling. Mm-hmm. I used to do a lot of journaling. So I'd write a lot about where my thoughts were, a lot of where my behaviours. I would really reflect on where I was at in relation to other people. Journaling was a big thing. Um, meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, breathing exercises. And I used a lot of different techniques and different ways of, you know, self-care is important. Self-care is a massive thing when it comes to recovering from trauma and PTSD. Um, it's, it's self-care is huge and it's about having boundaries because if you've got complex PTSD, we can struggle with boundaries. Yeah. So I struggle with putting boundaries in place. I was a people pleaser. I was the biggest people pleaser going. And a lot of people think it's just PTSD, fight, flight, freeze. But this is where we start talking about fawn where we start getting into how we can show up and people please for others and actually realise that we're doing everything for them, not for us. And our boundaries are, are so weak that we just, you know, keep, you know, it's almost like we're we are allowing people to just abuse our time, to abuse us, to take, take us for granted. And that was the biggest, one of the biggest learnings I've learned over the years is, is how to create boundaries 
and it's okay to have boundaries and you know, not please people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I too had issues with uh, boundaries and letting people um, take advantage. Um, and yeah, I think that, that, you know, again, I think that kind of comes back as well to like, you know, you've got to respect your elders and people, you know, telling you like not to talk back, even though, you know, they're assholes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's not about, like I say, for me, I, I, you know, it's not about, it's not about blaming the parents because, you know, they were fucked up as well, right? So it's like, it's about accepting, accepting that um, and forgiving because if you don't forgive, it's very difficult to move on. Yeah, I mean, we can't blame potentially the parents or how we've been brought up. We can, you know, we, we can acknowledge the behaviours that they caught, put on us and, you know, and never forget them, but we can forgive from our heart and because that's another way of releasing what's happened from our past and it's, yeah. it's easier said than done. Because how can I forgive him? How can I forgive her? They've caused so much hurt in my life. Yeah. And we get frustrated and angry with it. But we still need to come to a place of, as you say, acceptance and for, for forgiveness. Forgiving's one of the hardest things that we can do. Yeah. Uh, forgiving and finding that place of acceptance. It's almost like letting go. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing a lot of us struggle with is letting go letting go of relationships that aren't serving us, letting go of things that aren't helping us, letting go of jobs that maybe aren't aligned with our values, or letting go of our past hurts, mm-hmm. letting go of these relationships from our past. They're not, you know, and forgiveness is part of letting go, all right? Forgiveness is part of letting go of it's also letting go of fear, letting go of, you know, this trauma that's, 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 a lot of us like to dwell on it sometimes. A lot of us like to play the, have the self-pity parties and play the victim role. Or a lot of us like to, you know, stay in it rather than actually move beyond it and come out of it and, and heal. So letting go for me is the biggest part of my journey and part of, I help other clients with is, Helping them let go and move move through it and beyond it. Not re-experience it, but remember it, but not re-experience it and just allow it to, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And letting go of how you perceive yourself as well. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a big, uh, a big, it's been a big issue for me, letting go of, um, you know, how I perceive myself and, you know, realising that that's not who I, who I actually am. Um, so, yeah, what, what other kind of, how else did it affect you? Um, you talk about disassociation. Tell us a bit about that. Have you, did you experience kind of flashbacks and 
what's what's been the situation there? Yeah, disassociation's probably the biggest defence mechanism that, that comes up through trauma. Um, and I wasn't aware of it for years. But yeah, disassociation was something that I did um, with family members, with relationships, with friends. Um, disassociation, you, you can disassociate yourself from environments that you don't want to be in because, or, and also can disassociate ourselves from our emotions or feelings through keeping busy, through watching hours of TV, or through excessive exercise, yeah. drinking and smoking. And there's so many ways we can disassociate. But, you know, it's not healthy because in the long term, all these feelings and emotions are going to come catch you. They'll catch up with you in the end. It took me 30 years to eventually, eventually caught up with me. But disassociation is, um, it held me back. Um, in life, it helped me back in business. It helped me back in you know my relationships. It helped me back in, you know, yeah. It just helped me back in so many ways because I was scared to go there, scared to deal with emotions, or scared to tell people how I feel. And mm-hmm. it's a association's a real thing. It's really a lot of us do it in some ways. Um, some more extreme than others, but a lot of us disassociate daily. Yeah. Uh, even sometimes subtly, and we don't even realise it. And it's about being able to reflect upon that and see it, how it shows up in our day. But disassociation is probably more common than people realise. And for me it was. It was a daily occurrence. I was busy, busy, busy. I'd work 14, 15 hour days. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time, it was, I was disassociating from the feelings or the emotions or disassociating from situations that I didn't want to address. Yeah. Even recently, my mum passed away in February, you know, and I struggled with dealing with that, the grief. And for a couple of weeks, I just kept busy, you know, getting the house sorted, preparing the funeral. I was the next to the kids, so I just, you know, organise everyone else, organise everything that's going on. Don't worry about, you know, don't, I was, even up to recently, I was disassociating at times from that experience because I didn't want to go there. Mm-hmm. And this is a message out there, you know, grief comes in many different ways and it comes in waves sometimes, but we often don't allow grief to sit with us. It's easier to just disassociate from dealing with the grief that might come. I guess my, my advice here would be allow the grief to come, allow it to release, allow it to show up and how it does. Um, don't try and avoid it. I've tried to avoid grief for years and it's, it's oh, you almost become robotic. You almost become like, you know, yeah. it's, you know, because you're not in touch with the feelings. But the feelings are actually a barometer to where you are in life. If we're not addressing the feelings, how are we going to get into our gut feelings? How are we going to get into what's on our hearts if we're constantly going on what's in our heads? It's dissociation stops us from feeling what we have and feeling where we're at at any point in time. Our gut tells us much more than we realise and our heart tells us much more than we realise. But often our heart's silenced by overthinking. It's silenced by our busy minds. It's silenced by keeping, you know, and, you know, you talked about subconscious level earlier. 
a lot of our programming does come from subconscious, mm-hmm. from our childhood, from our upbringing, but we don't often tap into that. And we don't often go delve deep into it to realize how things are showing up in your life. And it's, it's, I think it's really necessary that we are, are aware of how we're feeling and what needs to be addressed in our lives. I was speaking to a man recently and he's, he's been on antidepressants for 18 years. Yeah. 18 years on antidepressants. And <clears throat> yeah, he doesn't, doesn't feel anything. He doesn't know what he's, how, how he feels because he's, he's, he's stuffed, he's suppressed all his feelings or he's masked them all up with his antidepressants. And he's, it makes him feel good and he feels, and it's helps him maybe, you know, function day, day, day in, day, day out. But he's disassociating in many ways from yeah. the underlying feelings. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers your question about disassociation. Yeah, absolutely. And healing can uh, can cause a lot of grief as well, right? When you start to heal, you start to experience yeah. grief. And uh, <coughs> yeah, I yeah. grief resulted. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the things that is, is cost you, the things that you've lost due to, you know, what, what you were programmed what you were programmed to believe and to to do and to put up with. And then you start to get grief and anger. And that's all where meditation comes in and sitting and experiencing those feelings and not resisting them. Because like you say, you know, what resists persists. And the more the more you put it off, the more complex it's gonna get. The more the more of a mess you're gonna you're gonna find yourself in. Yeah, I mean, you talk about flashbacks there, right? And you did ask about flashbacks earlier. Flashbacks and triggers. Um, I'm actually doing a webinar on this next week. I'm doing a, a webinar on managing flashbacks and triggers. Um, and, you know, flashbacks can show up in so many different ways. I had a lot of flashbacks come up in my dreams. Um, dreams was a, a big thing. And, and, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night having flashbacks. Yeah. I'd flash as I was going to the therapy. There was flashbacks coming through my dreams. There was flashbacks coming up, you know, in the middle of the day when I was out for a walk. They can show up at any time, and it's and someone sometimes it can send you into panic. And you know, if you get a really strong trigger, they can send you into panic. And our triggers can come from, you know, a feeling. It can come from a sense of, of a smell. It can come from a sound you hear. You know, it's triggers and flashbacks. It's, they're hard to manage if you're not understanding of them and, and actually allowing yourself to be in them. Not rather than, no, sorry, not be in them, be with them. Sometimes we need to be with them and actually just allow them there. You know, there was sometimes I would wrap myself in a duvet because of that. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to see that. And but these, are, you know, flashbacks are a big thing that a lot of people struggle to manage. And, you know, struggle with, and it's something that I, need, I want to help others understand because um, they don't have to be hard to manage. You can, if we just have a process where we allow them to, to sit and just say we're experiencing them mm-hmm. and then allow them just to come and go because they're just temporary. They just need to be, they just need to come out, need to be released, but we can find a way of, I'm not saying they're going to go away, 
just need to find a way of managing them and, and having boundaries in place that may prevent us from going into them as often as we as we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, flashbacks were horrendous. I was scared to go anywhere on my own because of flashbacks. And, you know, I just used to like black out and disassociate completely and completely go off in my own head. Um, and then, yeah, you know, sort of come round and think people, people were like looking at me, you know, and wonder if I'd just been like talking to myself and carrying on like a madman. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I've actually asked people before, you know, if they've ever seen me talking to myself and people tell me that they haven't. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, my, you know, my fears were like, yeah, it was, uh, it was bad. So anyway, to deal with uh, flashbacks, you know, I use hypnotherapy and the rewind technique uh, and NLP, which would be like, known in NLP as the fast phobia cure. And so that mm-hmm. like, removes the emotion from the um, from the memory, and then it can be processed as a as a normal memory. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's you know. So I would have, like you say, it comes from childhood. So I'd have a memory from childhood that I would then experience as an adult. Say I'd have an argument with someone or someone would annoy me and then I'd be flashing back on that event the recent event but its trigger was you know a long way a long way in the past and it gets compounded over time and so the more the more you repeat that pattern the stronger it becomes right you form new neural pathways and it gets stronger and stronger um, so what methods do you use to help people with flashbacks? Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say methods per se. I would say more, um, I mean, some of the therapy I went through was CRM. It's a comprehensive resource model. And it's a, it's a fairly new therapy process. So there's aspects of that I've, I've learned from, which is really, really uh, helpful. Um, I guess the the technique or the methods I use is more like I spoke about earlier, just helping people sit in that space or just be with them and, you know, like acknowledge that they're there. Don't try and deny it or just acknowledge, okay, I'm, I'm experiencing a flashback. However, I'm safe. I'm secure. I don't have to get, you know, and it's about, Sometimes we need to reach out to our close, our close friends or family members, and just help have someone there to go through it with us. Yeah, I think that's more important here. As the it's not per se the technique or method; it's just more acknowledging it and being aware that's there. Um, because we can't. Sometimes we can't get rid of them. We can't just dismiss them. We have to um, be able to be with them. Um, I mean, I, I like how Pete Walker talks about the 13 steps of managing flashbacks, and he talks about acknowledging it first and just being with it. And, and you know, it, yeah, like I say, that's important because you know, I used to be quite ashamed of it. Yeah, I used to, and I used to think it meant that I was like schizophrenic or something. 
but it is schizoid, right? So, but I, yeah, you know, I used to think, yeah, man, I was seriously mentally ill. Um, but once you start learning about, you know, what this is, you start realizing that it's, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not your fault. It's, um, you know, nothing to be ashamed of. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, it's, um, flashbacks are real and a lot of people will, will go through them if they're going through trauma. Uh, and PTSD from their past, um, whether it's even war or a uh, accident, you know, there's there's so many ways flashbacks shows up, um, and uh, it's right we we can't be ashamed of them. We can't start thinking we're we're mental in the head or we're this and that. It's just it's just part of our healing journey. Yeah, uh, it's another aspect of it, and it's along with the feelings that come from this. But for me. Unless we're willing to get into these feelings and these flashbacks, we're not going to allow ourselves to heal mm-hmm. and, 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 and move through. You know, if you think of e- emotions, um, emotions need to move, right? Mm-hmm. Feelings, emo- emotive, as it comes from a Latin term, emotions need to move. Need to, we need to feel them and allow them to go. They're only ever temporary. And, and this, the feelings that come from flashbacks and triggers. Yeah. They're there for a short period of time, but they're going to move. Allow them to move. But the problem, the problem we have as human beings is we try and fight them. We yeah. try and fight our feelings. We try and fight our flashbacks by, you know, covering them up by smoking more or drinking more. Um, I mean, I, I read a book about a, a war PTSD sufferer. Uh, I can't remember the name of the book, but he talked about uh, the, the man talked a lot about lager therapy. <laughs> that's you know that's a real thing. A lot of men go to the pub and drink, and uh, through these flashbacks or drink through these feelings or or triggers, and it's it's you know, it's just we live in a society where we're, we're not we're not addressing the trauma. Mm-hmm. Even the coaches and there's so many coaches out there today that aren't even, they're not trauma aware. They're not aware of people going through trauma. Yeah, I know. They're, they're too busy helping with people on a superficial level. But, you know, we need actually, trauma awareness needs to be out there much more. And we, we need to help people find a place to heal from this. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's, it's, it can de- debilitate people in life, you know, yeah. in relationships. And it can stop people from, you know, living a, a peaceful life and passion life and, and having loving relationships around them. So, so yeah. Like I say, it's so important to deal deal with the trauma because unless you deal with that trauma, you you know you you can practice all the all the gratitude and positive thinking you want, but you're never going to uh, you're never going to stop repeating those patterns. No. So no, and I I've been coaching a few people recently, and 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 it was I mean I, I mentor coaches sometimes, but what I was finding was the guys wanted some business support and, oh, let's do mind maps and let's do this and do that. But it wasn't that stuff that was holding them back. Mm-hmm. Once I delved that a little bit deeper, I sensed much more. Yeah. And I sensed there was underlying stuff. And that's where, if I'm just looking at the coaching world at the moment, there's, we have a world full of coaches that are doing business, this, executive coaching, that. But a lot of the time it's, they're not dealing with the root cause. If you think of mental health, for example, right? Mental health 
has so many different, you know, things like anxiety, depression, you know, um, eating disorders. You've got all these different plethora of mental health issues today, right? Mm-hmm. But underlying all these, these are just symptoms. These are just symptoms of our traumas. These are just symptoms of our, our childhood traumas mainly uh, and, and traumas we've experienced in life, you know, through uh, relationships, through, and it's, you know, I just want to encourage other people to be aware of this. You know, let's move beyond the surface level and, and, and deal with these hurtful and painful feelings as they may be, but it's necessary to, to heal from them, to allow us to, to grow and prosper in life. Yep, absolutely. That's so true. So, Stephen, how can people find you? Um, so, yeah, I am on Facebook. I have just, I've got a website, www.stevemills.co.uk that I am currently revamping, but it will be available soon. I'm just about to launch my new coaching uh, trauma recovery program, which is called Thrive. Mm-hmm. Thrive Trauma Recovery Program, which um, is over 12 weeks. Um, because it takes, it can take minimum twelve weeks. A trauma recovery it can take a lot longer uh, as a process. It can take time. Uh, it took me what fifteen, sixteen months. So I'm not expecting people just to come on for me for six weeks and expect to be healed from trauma. It takes a lot of time. So I have a Thrive Trauma Recovery Program, and also offer transformational coaching um, over six weeks, um, and I do mentoring, and I. I've also just set up a men's community. So if there's any men out there that want to join the men's group, I am looking to encourage um, a support, men to connect and grow and empower each other uh, in in this journey and hopefully help people find deeper connection. So that's about, that's how people can find me. I'll share, I guess, a link on here to my Facebook page or my group or whatever, just... um, um, and if you want to join me on any of my webinar series, I'm going to start a trauma, web, a trauma webinar series over the next six weeks, where every week will be a different subject matter around trauma. So next week I'm looking at five steps to managing triggers and flashbacks. Um, that's going to be the first webinar I do. Excellent. Yeah, I'll put the um, links in the show notes so people can find them there. Um, thank you very much for your time.